In the 1970s, Colonel J.J. Holland slogged through the Virginia backwoods, searching for the famed Beale treasure. Each step was deliberate, guided by the clicks and beeps of his metal detector. Holland had first heard of the Beale fortune in 1964. The legendary store of riches was rumored to weigh over 8,000 pounds and valued at what would be more than $60 million today. Supposedly, it had been buried in Bedford County, Virginia in the early 1820s. Ever since Holland learned of the treasure, he'd been obsessed with tracking it down. For years, he searched the Blue Ridge Mountains, logging over 150,000 miles. In the process, he also squandered much of his savings on gas, hotels, and equipment. Because Holland wasn't in it just for the money. At 70 years old, he wanted one thing more than anything else, to be right. He fantasized about solving the century-old mystery that thousands of other scavengers had failed to decode. But as he aged, he couldn't deny that the hunt was taking a toll on his body. His heart could no longer handle the strenuous hiking. Even his physician advised Holland that it was time to call it quits. Still, against his better judgment, he was once again in the Virginia backwoods, and all of a sudden, his metal detector launched into frantic beeps. The colonel thrust his post-holer into the dirt, and finally, his shovel hit something hard. His weak heart beat faster, and Holland dropped to his knees, reaching into the earth. But as he brushed off the rock, a sinking realization hit. It was a lump of coal. And below in the ditch, there was only more dusty gray stone, no silver or gold. Holland went home a defeated man. There was only one explanation that allowed the old colonel to sleep at night. Perhaps the treasure he sought didn't exist. Maybe it never had. He could have been following some cruel prank for years. Welcome to Conspiracy Theories, a Spotify original from ParCast. Every Monday and Wednesday, we dig into the complicated stories behind the world's most controversial events and search for the truth. I'm Carter Roy. And I'm Molly Brandenburg. And neither of us are conspiracy theorists. But we are open-minded, skeptical, and curious. Don't get us wrong. Sometimes the official version is the truth. But sometimes it's not. You can find episodes of Conspiracy Theories and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. This is our second episode on the Beale Papers. Allegedly, the codes from the early 19th century led to one of the most valuable fortunes ever buried in the United States. And... Once they had been printed for public consumption in 1885, the Beale Papers launched America's longest and costliest treasure hunt. Despite their lucrative story, though, there's no record of anyone having found the riches, which has led some to think the papers are nothing but a tempting trap for thrill-seekers. Beale enthusiasts and conspiracy theorists alike have tied the treasure's existence to solving the ciphers. Much of the past 100 years has been spent arguing over the authenticity of the codes and the treasure's exact location. 
So today, we'll explore a few conspiracies surrounding the fortune. Some say the National Security Agency, the NSA, found Beale's wealth long ago. Others believe the Beale gold is still out there, buried somewhere in Virginia's Blue Ridge Mountains. And finally, some people are sure that the mysterious treasure never existed, and Beale's ciphers have always been a hoax. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Bottling everything up can be really bad for you in the long run and have some terrible consequences. And this isn't a conspiracy theory. The more you let things build up, the more of a toll it can take on your mental health. I know for me, in dealing with some traumatic events in my life, I had the tendency to think, well, they've already happened. I'm okay. Other people have it worse. It doesn't matter much. And through therapy, was really able to understand how those events impacted me and changed how I'd start to see the world in ways that weren't great and were sometimes making my life worse. So therapy or dealing with any traumatic events you've had might really help you in terms of how you can live in the present moment now. So if you want to give therapy a try, check out BetterHelp. It's entirely online, convenient, and flexible. It's also really easy to get started. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com conspiracy today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash conspiracy. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations at Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between, offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthierhappenstogether. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. In the 200 years since Thomas Beale created the cryptograms and his note, codebreakers from all walks of life have attempted to decrypt his puzzles. Yet even the nation's most advanced minds haven't been able to make headway. Of course, this opens up the possibility that someone has solved the codes and privately claimed the prize. For instance, take a look at the NSA. Ever since the agency was founded in 1952, decryption has been essential to its mission. Decoding terrorist messages and the encrypted communications of U.S. adversaries is a primary goal of the NSA. Otherwise, the U.S. could be at serious risk. And because the agency's bread and butter is solving the unsolvable, some believe it may have already solved Beale's ciphers. Which brings us to conspiracy theory number one. The National Security Agency, or its predecessor, found the treasure and has been keeping its whereabouts a secret for decades. When it comes to American cryptography, one codebreaker rises above the rest. His name was William Friedman, and many view him as the father of the NSA. Friedman was widely respected, 
Another one of his nicknames amongst historians was the Harry Houdini of ciphers. Even his students called him King Midas because every code he touched turned to plain text. Throughout most of the 1930s, Friedman worked as chief of the United States Army's Signal Intelligence Service, SIS for short. During World War II, the Army utilized the SIS to compile codes and encrypt strategic communication. Besides breaking foreign ciphers, the SIS also collaborated with the U.S. Department of War on its code systems. Several years after World War II ended, SIS resources were reassigned to the newly established NSA. The U.S. government was looking for someone with a deep understanding of code cracking to build the new agency from the ground up. During his service, Friedman had made significant contributions to helping crack Japan's wartime diplomatic code, labeled purple by the SIS. They saw him as the perfect fit. So Friedman and his associates started by processing secret communications from foreign adversaries. With the intelligence they gathered, the NSA was able to bolster American security and help shape foreign policy. As intense as his work was over the course of his career, Friedman couldn't help but work on code cracking during his leisure time, too. For decades, he attempted to decipher the publicly available Beale ciphers. The mysterious cryptograms were amusing, but Friedman was also quite serious about untangling Beale's riddles. Whether this urge was fueled by a secret hunger for the wealth that could come from solving the ciphers, or simply being addicted to his work, we'll never know. But many cryptologists say that once a puzzle draws you in, it haunts you. You do all you can to solve it. And for a world-renowned codebreaker like Friedman, it's not unlikely that his ego could have been wrapped up in taking down the toughest of encryptions. He struggled with the Beale codes for years, until finally, Friedman decided that he needed to collaborate to make any headway. Friedman had his colleagues take a stab at figuring out the two ciphers that had yet to be decoded. B1, which contained the treasure's coordinates, and B3, which listed the heirs to the fortune. But even the government's top cryptanalysts seemingly failed to make any progress. In the end, Friedman admitted he never cracked the codes. He tried his best, but ultimately grew weary and felt it was time to pass the baton. At one point, Friedman assigned the codes to his mentees in the Signal Intelligence Training Program. Part of the program's curriculum for new recruits involved studying the Beale Papers. Though the cryptograms weren't entirely relevant to the mission of the soon-to-be-formed NSA, they didn't pose a national threat or shine a light on foreign tactics, the complex puzzles seemed like a perfect exercise for incoming classes. And Friedman believed Beale's ciphers to be of diabolical ingenuity. As the decades passed, several cryptanalysts in the government allegedly tested their wits against the ciphers. Remember, these were the top minds in their field, and they had access to the most advanced technology available. But apparently, even with these advantages, the ciphers were unsolvable. Of course, news eventually spread throughout the code-cracking world that even Friedman and his mentees hadn't been able to solve the ciphers. 
As the public tried to make sense of the Beale papers, the country's network of cryptologists kept each other apprised of their individual efforts. Later, a man named R.R. Hamill, one-time president of the American Cryptogram Association, voiced his feeling that Friedman and his protégés had given up too easily. Hamill felt it was strange that, after years of deep enthusiasm about the codes, the former NSA chief would suddenly abandon his dogged pursuit. Friedman himself had said that he'd reached the point of utter frustration. Even when he was actively working on the ciphers, they often seemed unsolvable. But that response didn't satisfy Hamill. He accused Friedman of concealing information. Perhaps Hamill suspected the codes had been solved and that Friedman, or even the government, cashed in on the prize. He even accused Friedman of holding on to the original Beale pages themselves. Of course, Hamill had no evidence to back up this claim, and without it, it's just as possible that his accusations were motivated by jealousy or the desire for attention. Regardless of why Hamill picked the fight, a heated written battle ensued. Friedman replied that he was in no way obligated to explain his work, to Hamill or anyone else for that matter. In fact, since he'd stopped trying to solve the codes, the papers had largely been out of sight, out of mind. The only time he even thought of them was when someone wrote him silly questions about them. Friedman deposited Hamill's note promptly into the trash. Hamill wasn't the only one who took issue with the government, though. There have been countless others who believed NSA codebreakers solved the B-1 cipher, learned the treasure's coordinates, and dug it up for themselves. Around the 1970s, treasure hunter Frederick Chesson took Hamill's theory a step further. He proposed that NSA agents had trudged into the Blue Ridge foothills incognito, dressed as U.S. forest rangers. Then, they covertly removed the gold, silver, and jewels. However, we found no historical evidence to support his claim. But that could mean the NSA was highly skilled at keeping its efforts a secret. Had they taken control of the Beale fortune, they might have used it to fund espionage programs without Congress knowing. Conspiracy theorists have suggested this was a way for the NSA to act on its intelligence leads in ways that the U.S. government wouldn't sanction. However, we should note that we found no evidence of this claim anywhere. And as for Friedman, he was financially stable enough not to be desperate for money. But if the NSA didn't want the public to find information backing this conspiracy, they could likely do a formidable job of hiding their tracks. After all, secrecy is their standard operating procedure. There's the old joke that the NSA stands for never say anything. Still, I'm having a hard time seeing the plausibility of this theory. For one, Friedman was unlikely to have engaged in such unethical behavior. He was nationally recognized for his integrity. And I doubt he would have shared the codes with his colleagues and recruits if he were hiding the treasure. For those reasons, I give this theory that the NSA actually found the treasure a 4 out of 10. I'm not so sure. Take the fact that the NSA's research about the Beale Papers is still available on the agency's website. 
It could be a mislead, so the public believes the treasure is still out there, even though the agency may have already captured it. Deciphering codes is secretive work, and it's the best agency for the job, so I'm on the fence. I have to give this theory a 5 out of 10. You have a point. We'll never know all that goes on behind the NSA's doors, and if that includes more updates on Beale's riches. At the very least, it certainly makes you wonder where the fortune is, if it is still up for grabs. Coming up, the likelihood that the Beale fortune is still buried in Virginia. The most urgent mysteries in the world are missing persons cases. The stakes are too high not to pursue every plausible possibility, and some implausible ones too. I'm Sarah Turney, host of the new podcast, Disappearances. In 2020, after spending years searching for the truth, I use social media to help bring justice to my sister Alyssa's nearly two decades long disappearance. Now, every Thursday on Spotify, I'm exploring the many reasons people disappear and the impact their absences can have on those left behind. From child abductions and mystifying murders to those who took drastic measures to start over, each episode of Disappearances journeys through a different high-profile missing persons case, ripped from the headlines and ripe for explanation because no one just vanishes into thin air. The answers are out there, waiting to be found. Follow the Spotify original from Parcast Disappearances. Hear a new episode every Thursday, free and only on Spotify. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Now back to the story. After two centuries, the legend of Thomas Beale's ciphers and buried treasure continues to mystify codebreakers. And attracts scavengers. Thousands have tried to locate the prize, valued today at more than $60 million. While a select few have said the NSA claimed the fortune and kept it hidden from the American public, the likelihood of this is slim. Which brings us to conspiracy theory number two. The Beale fortune is still out there, buried somewhere deep in the Blue Ridge Mountains of Virginia. If you're wondering why the Blue Ridge Range is a hot spot for treasure seekers, the answer isn't entirely in the codes. It actually lies within Thomas Beale's initial letter to his acquaintance, Robert Morris. In it, Beale wrote about bringing wagon loads of gold back to Bedford County, Virginia. The note stated that he buried his riches near a small town west of Lynchburg, which geographically puts the fortune smack dab in the middle of the beautiful Blue Ridge Mountains. And ever since the Beale ciphers were released to the public in the 1880s, people have traveled to Bedford County, Virginia to grab their chance at living the high life. Part of the appeal is the state's Finders Keepers Law. The ordinance dictates that specific kinds of found property, like buried treasure, belong to the finder. 
Buoyed by this legislation, diggers flock to the Blue Ridge Mountains with maps, schemes, and decoded ciphers. Of course, most of these seekers have spent years examining the puzzles, and before heading to Virginia, they cross two things off their checklists. For one, they've read the solution to B2, which gives them the contents of the fortune, and they've spent enough time scrutinizing the other ciphers that they think they've solved B1, which supposedly tells them the coordinates of the hidden wealth. Once the hunters have narrowed down where they think the bounty is located, they prepare for their trip, and these outings come at no small cost. Some have spent their nest eggs and pensions on camping gear and digging equipment. Others have even gone broke or eventually ended up in jail for trespassing. Regardless of how they get to Virginia, these hopeful hunters are united in what they have in common. The belief that Beale's treasure is still hidden somewhere in the Old Dominion state. Sadly, their disappointment is yet another thing they have in common. Take the plight of Mel Fisher, a treasure hunter who was after Beale's secret. He first gained notoriety, as well as millions in gold and silver, in 1985, when he located a Spanish galleon shipwreck near the Florida Keys. Based on his experience, Mel was confident he could find the Beale treasure too. In 1989, he and his crew set out for Bedford County. For the next few weeks, they were trailed by local news crews eager to chronicle their hunt. Day after day, reporters looked on as Mel's backhoe operators dug into rock ledges in parts of Bedford and Roanoke, Virginia. The buzz the search created ensured it was the town's top story for weeks. One fateful day, one of Mel's men reportedly hollered up at the crew. He'd found something a rusty old metal box. Mel arrived, grabbed the container, and pried it open. The box was empty. It wasn't Beale's treasure. Mel didn't have many options after that, except to surmise that the Bedford County clue wasn't to be taken literally. Instead, some have deduced it was a metaphor for the actual location. While Mel spent some time in his last years re-examining the codes in Florida, he died before making any more progress. Despite Mel's experience and the doubt of many Bedford County locals, there were still people that believed the Beale fortune was out there. In fact, some of the nation's most reputable codebreakers continued the search. They insisted that the location cipher, B1, when solved, would point to Virginia. Dr. Carl Hammer was one such man. In 1970, he served as the director of computer sciences at one of America's first major computing companies, Sperry Univac. He was well acquainted with substitution cipher work, so he was particularly taken with Beale's codes. According to experts, it's not hard to understand how the ciphers encrypt plain text. They swap each letter for a different symbol, which can be referenced in a key. For example, if the letters in the key are P, Q, and R, and they correspond with English alphabet characters C, A, and T, then the coded text PQR becomes the word cat when solved. In the hopes of cracking the Beale code, 
Hamer decided to try the B1 numbers on his Univac 1108 computer. To detect whether or not the cipher was an arbitrary sequence, he ran a frequency analysis. This system is used by cryptanalysts to point out repeating symbols and analyze their significance. After employing this method, Dr. Hammer felt that Beale's B1 code had to communicate a deliberate message. With the results of the frequency analysis in mind, the code-breaking community reinvested in solving Beale's codes. Dr. Hammer decided he should oversee the task. He appointed himself to lead the charge and brought the cryptograms to his peers. Soon after, in 1969, Dr. Hammer and his colleagues formed the Beale Cipher Association, affectionately dubbed the BCA. With conferences set in Washington, D.C., the new organization doubled down to crack Beale's codes. Though there is some evidence that the BCA might have been a bit of an echo chamber for Dr. Hammer. Surrounded by like-minded peers, he was free to promote his theory that the numbers in the ciphers weren't random, despite the fact that he had no real proof. BCA members at the top of their fields, like ex-CIA agent Carl Nelson Jr., didn't seem concerned, though. They offered Dr. Hammer their public support, especially as he published his findings. For me, it still comes down to the fact that Dr. Hammer never actually solved the puzzle. For all of their computers and code-breaking tech, the BCA couldn't come up with specific messages that pinned the treasure to Virginia, let alone exact coordinates of the buried gold. I have a hard time believing that they'd invest so much time and so many resources if there wasn't some serious possibility that the BCA could unearth the fortune. These were some of the nation's top minds. They certainly had other problems to solve, which makes the Beale papers seem like one that was legitimate. Plus, without the riches, there's no way to prove they're not in Virginia. Everyone who has traveled to Virginia to unearth the treasure has come home defeated. I think that speaks for itself. Since the B1 and B3 ciphers remain unsolved, there's just not much evidence to show us that the Blue Ridge Mountains are the home to Beale's fortune. I give this theory a 2 out of 10. I think hunters may just keep missing the mark, like Mel. Many 20th century cryptologists all seem to hone in on the Blue Ridge Mountains as where it was buried. It's a massive area to cover, and since the treasure has yet to be discovered, I'm not writing it off just yet. I have to give this theory a 4 out of 10. Given that we may never find out whether the treasure is still out there in Virginia, it's worth asking another question. One which might completely change the fate of America's most esoteric treasure. Can we even believe Thomas Beale's story? Time does have a tendency to distort the truth. And it has led some people to wonder if Beale's discovery of the gold, his letters and codes, and even James B. Ward's pamphlets printed in 1885 were an elaborate hoax all along. Coming up, whether the Beale treasure ever existed at all. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Now, back to the story. For the last 200 years, efforts to crack the Beale papers have come up short and left a futile guessing game in their wake. As far as enthusiasts are concerned, the treasure is still out there. However, most reporting describing fortune seekers' attempts seems to take on the same discouraged tone. Articles highlight that hunters seem to be obsessed and only end up sorely disappointed when they end up with, quote, little more than mud. The repeated failed attempts do make you wonder if the fortune is real at all. Which brings us to our third and final theory. The entire story of the Beale fortune, including his ciphers and Ward's pamphlets, has always been an elaborate hoax. For all of its glory and grandeur, the tale of Beale's expedition to the western frontier is full of inconsistencies and chronological errors. Perhaps the most notable variation is that Beale struck it rich three decades before gold was discovered in the region. January 24, 1848 marks the onset of the West's famous gold rush. But Beale's letter states he lucked into a store of the precious metal in the spring of 1818. It does seem that if Thomas Beale had been the first to strike gold in America, there would be some public record of it, like newspaper articles or a landmark. But none of those pieces of potential evidence seem to exist. There's also the fact that no records, other than Beale's alleged letters, document a hunting party as large as his entering the Western Territory. Beale claimed to travel with 30 men. Yet, according to the online magazine Mental Floss, a group of that size would likely have been arrested for criminal trespassing in a foreign land. Remember, the West as we know it had yet to be acquired by the United States. The Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo, in which Mexico relinquished much of its western territory to the U.S., wasn't signed until 1848, over 30 years after Beale left for Santa Fe. For his operation to camp out in present-day New Mexico in 1818 without consequence seems a bit unlikely. Maybe... But one ex-CIA agent was determined to find evidence that Beale's party existed and ventured to Santa Fe as his letter suggested. Throughout the 1980s, BCA member Carl Nelson Jr. scouted reports from St. Louis, Missouri. In the 1820s, the city should have been Beale's final U.S. checkpoint before entering the unsettled frontier. 
And Nelson claimed to have found evidence there of an S.T. Beale in an October 1817 notice in the Missouri Gazette. Additionally, there was a notice for a Thomas Beale in the Franklin Intelligencer in 1820. The year Beale was rumored to have returned to Santa Fe to pick up the second load of gold. But S.T. Beale is not T.J. Beale. And in both of Nelson's cases, Beale is spelled B-E-A-L-L. Thomas is said to have signed his name B-E-A-L-E. The similarity between the last names is just coincidental. In addition to inconsistencies in Beale's story, there are also some pretty significant issues with the B1, B2, and B3 codes themselves. Let's start with B3. The cipher that supposedly listed the heirs to the fortune and their addresses. B3 is 618 numbers long. But according to some researchers, that's too short to contain all the relevant information. Remember, the message was meant to document the 30 miners, at least one relative of each, and their addresses. If you assume every number in the code corresponds with one letter of the alphabet, each explorer, relative, and address would only get about seven letters. Which is pretty short. You definitely need more letters when listing the first name and surname of 60 people, as well as the home addresses of 30. Plus, it seems likely that some specification about how much each relative should inherit was needed. Seven letters for every person and address doesn't seem to cut it. Right. For instance, the phrase Thomas J. Beale, Virginia, takes up a whole 20 letters on its own, which is more than would be allowed for one individual. One has to wonder how even that would be enough information to ensure each heir received their portion of the treasure. But maybe some of the miners were related. Theoretically, their heirs could share an address. That's possible, but I think there's also a bigger issue at play. Whether the miners would be ready to part with their riches so soon. Remember, Beale and his men had spent years digging up the gold and having it transported back east. I think they might have wanted to actually spend some of their hard-earned fortune first, not put it back into the ground. That's true. And if they had, there would be records of purchased land or livestock, which we've never seen any evidence of. There's also the mystery of B2, the anonymously solved cipher that allegedly listed the items in the treasure. In 2013, the NSA's Dr. Todd Mateer wrote that those who used the original Declaration of Independence to decode B2 would run across issues. Most Beale enthusiasts believe the correct interpretation of the cipher read as, quote, I have deposited in the county of Bedford. But when Mateer tried to decode the phrase, he came up with an entirely different message. His interpretation basically translated to a bunch of gibberish. Researcher Stephen Matthias can shed some light on why Mateer's message was different from other codebreakers' attempts, though. Matthias found more than 300 slightly altered versions of the Declaration that were published between 1776 and 1825. According to Harvard University's Declaration Resources Project, quote, 
Almost every version of the Declaration of Independence, printed or written in 1776, was different from the next in terms of punctuation, capitalization, or errors. These variations even continued throughout book and newspaper reprintings into the 19th century. So, depending on which version of the Declaration is used to decode B2, there could be discrepancies in the translation. Mattias even points out that an additional letter, word, or space could mess with decryption. Based on this, it's possible Matir used the wrong version of the Declaration. That is a fair point. Beale likely didn't anticipate the Declaration would undergo so many edits. But we can't ignore that so far, much of Beale's story is inconsistent for a fortune so important, which leads us to the issue of his letters. In the early 1980s, Kentucky-based linguist Dr. Jean Paval studied Beale's written messages. She compared Beale's language to James Ward's published Beale pamphlet. Remember, in 1885, Ward bound the ciphers and Beale's letters into a brochure. In it, he printed the codes for the public to buy at 50 cents per booklet. Paval said there were striking similarities between the brochure's copy and the letters, suggesting that the same author was responsible for both documents. And a lot of this language wasn't necessarily appropriate for Thomas Beale to have written. For one thing, both excerpts used reflexive pronouns like himself and myself in the wrong way. Both samples also mimicked the rhythm of the King James Bible, implying the writing was modeled on scripture. This led Pival to believe that Ward might not have just distributed the Beale papers. He may have actually written them. This could be true. The writing in both Beale's letter and Ward's pamphlet employed negative passive language, like the phrase, never be told. This language was uncommon in the early 19th century because that type of syntax was rare then. The author of both pieces was likely one and the same. Other investigators backed Pival. They pointed out some of the words Beale used didn't exist in 1820 when he was believed to have written his letter. They did, however, exist in 1885 when Ward published the ciphers for the public. Which begs the question, who was James Ward? This actually ties directly back to the lore of Thomas Beale. Eventually, BCA researchers discovered that there were actually two men by the name of Thomas Beale in the 1820s. Both lived west of Lynchburg, Virginia, where Beale was said to have buried his treasure. As we mentioned in part one, Beale was rumored to have challenged his neighbor to a duel over a young girl he fancied. It turns out, one of the two Beals did engage in a duel with his neighbor. Afterwards, Beale thought he fatally wounded his opponent and left town. However, the neighbor allegedly survived and raised a family, whose last name was Ward. If the rumors of his survival are true, then his grandson would have eventually been James B. Ward, the same James Ward who grew up to publish the Beale pamphlet in 1885. Given the evidence we've discussed, 
Many conspiracy theorists think Ward fabricated the burial of a treasure, the ciphers, and even the existence of Thomas J. Beale as a hoax to get rich quick. By selling the pamphlets at 50 cents a pop, around $14 in 2021, it might have been a lucrative scheme. Of course, Ward's children contested the theory that their father's pamphlet was a fake. When his daughter was interviewed for the Lynchburg News in 1934, she said she trusted her dad's story. Her father never proved dishonest, so she had reason to believe in his legend devotedly and unquestioningly. Regardless of what his family believed, by creating the pamphlets, Ward did have something undeniably lucrative on his hands. If his contemporaries would spend $14 for a chance to find a treasure worth millions, he would be the one to profit. We'll never be sure if it was his intention, but essentially, he was selling the country's first lottery ticket. And if he offered no key, that meant nobody would ever be able to figure out he was lying. So there'd be no liability. Ward could walk away scot-free. If this was a hoax and Ward created the ciphers, it means he created the character of Thomas J. Beale too. Which means that while there was a historical Thomas Beale, the persona we know today to be behind the codes and the treasure may never have existed at all. In the end, people may have been searching for decades, all for nothing. Without the actual treasure in hand, we're still left with a lot of unknowns. It could still be buried, or it might not exist. Which makes it even more important to consider the context of the Beale story. For me, it's one littered with chronological errors, linguistic evidence, and corrupted decryptions. Knowing that so many have tried and failed to locate this secret treasure, it seems much more likely that James Ward was out to earn his own fortune. Therefore, I give this theory that the Beale papers were a hoax a 9 out of 10. I see your point. There's more suggesting that the lore of Thomas Beale is one that's been distorted for the gain of others. But it's also important to point out that some of the research that's been done on the cipher's discrepancies is valid. Like Stephen Matias's findings, multiple versions of the Declaration of Independence could explain why the codes don't translate perfectly. For that reason, I'm giving this theory a 7 out of 10. Regardless of the historical roots of the Thomas Beale story, the codes that bear his name were written by someone. And solving them has proven a fantastic and engaging brain tease for amateurs and seasoned cryptologists alike. And maybe that was the intention all along. That the paper's real value is the challenge they pose to those that try to crack them. The mystery of the Beale Papers has spanned two centuries and brought code crackers and treasure hunters alike together in a shared goal. And despite all the obstacles and reasons to give up, they've persisted. Until the bounty is unearthed, the legend itself is enough to keep people hoping and searching for more. Thanks for tuning in to Conspiracy Theories. 
We'll be back next time with a new episode. You can find all episodes of Conspiracy Theories and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. Until then, remember, the truth isn't always the best story. And the official story isn't always the truth. Conspiracy Theories is a Spotify original from Parcast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Dick Schroeder, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Bruce Katovich. This episode of Conspiracy Theories was written by John Levinson, with writing assistance by Ben Hanani and Mackenzie Moore. Fact-checking by Bennett Logan, and research by Bradley Klein. Conspiracy Theories stars Molly Brandenburg and Carter Roy. I'm Sarah Turney, host of the new Spotify original from Parcast, Disappearances. Every Thursday, join me for an exploration into history's most gripping missing persons cases. Following timelines, analyzing clues, and piecing together as many answers as possible to find the truth. From prison breaks and child abductions to second chances and even murder. We'll journey through the many reasons people disappear Follow my new podcast, Disappearances, free and only on Spotify.